0: Good morning, Grace family. I am with you today on this video because I'm actually in Colorado right now. I'm officiating my nephew's wedding and I'm going to spend a little time on my honeymoon spot in Urey, Colorado, my favorite spot of the world, and taking baby doll and my kids there. And I really love to preach. As you know, I love to preach, right? You know, I love to preach. And so I really wanted to preach this sermon, so I'm doing it via video. So thank you for being here, and I know this message will be a blessing to you. Thank you for being online and checking it out. won't be any different for you online, uh, folks. But I just want to thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to bring you this message because we're talking about love, love, love is in the air, yes. But I want to start today with oxymorons, and oxymorons are... Two words that are completely opposite, like act, you know, act naturally, or it's an open secret, or we all love it, don't we? Jumbo shrimp, yes, or deafening silence, or awfully good, you hear people say they're awfully good, yes, or genuine imitation, icy hot, hmm, clean dirt, clean dirt, or Alone together, yes. Or more sarcastically, you hear things like Microsoft Works or smart bombs or educational television, yes. And then there are statements of oxymorons, right? There are statements uh, like, I'm a deeply superficial person, (laughs) deeply superficial. Or give me a smart idiot over a stupid genius any day, huh? Or gentlemen, I want you to know that I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. And my favorite oxymoron statement comes from Miss Dolly Parton, right? Who said, you'd be surprised how much it costs to look this cheap. I love that. Now, Jesus actually said some oxymorons, right? The humble will be exalted. The first will be last. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. The meek will inherit the earth. Uh, Or seemingly oxymorons, right? And so the oxymoron I really want to focus on is Happily ever after has happily ever after become an oxymoronic statement. I mean, it's what Neil Diamond sang, right? Love on the rocks ain't no surprise. I love that song and I love Neil Diamond. In fact, I was on a Carnival cruise ship one time and they had a Neil Diamond tribute show. I I, I absolutely loved it. Anyway, but shh, don't tell Renee about this message. Renee has reviewed every message I've ever done over 27 years. And this June 24th, in just a couple days, we're celebrating 27 years of marriage. And so this is a secret message that she doesn't know about. She's not going to watch it. She's not going to watch it. She's had enough of me. She's not watching this message. But anyhow, don't tell her about it because I want to surprise her with this and have her watch it later. Uh, Anyhow, 27 years we've been together. And what I want to talk about is four reasons why we've lasted 27 years. And anyone that's in any relationship, if you look at these four reasons, if you apply these four things in your relationships, it will last. Trust me. So these are four things that we can do better. The first thing is that Renee and I never believed the myth, the cultural lie that sex and romance and dating, it leads to marriage. And marriage is just a drag, right? Kind of like, you know. The whole idea that you better get all your wild living out of you while you're young and before you get married, because once you get married, man, it's just devoid of fun. It's devoid of passion, lacking in any spontaneity and anything crazy, because that's when the real prison sentence begins. The old ball and chain. And we see this in the movies all the time, right? And I was reminded of this at my doctor's office, he always keeps these old magazines, and then a Time magazine from a couple years ago, and I picked it up and the, the very front of it said, uh, how to stay married. And the cover stories on, the, on marriage, and, and the main article began this way, there's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. And that's true if you think about it, right? Romantic comedies, fairy tales, they always end in marriage. And then they explain, quote, it's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings. These are stories worth telling. Even overcoming disapproval from family to get to the altar. But plodding on year after year with the same old soul, Yonsville. This is the lie that marriage is lame. This is a lie that there's just no fun after the initial spark and chemistry and sizzle and passion and newness of a relationship. I have one friend of mine, he's so down on marriage, and he says to me, you know, John, marriage, you know, after so many years, it's like, it's like eating the, the same color M&M year after year after year. Sometimes you just want one that's not red. You want a green one. And I mean, that's just a lie. You know, ball and chain, year after year, same old soul. And actually, I was reminded when I was reading the magazine uh, of 27 years ago advice that I got from friends who, who were, you know, as, as Renee and I were engaged and we were moving toward marriage, I don't know what it was, whether these people had really bad experiences, but they kind of brought out the lie. I mean, they kept placing their hand on my shoulder, and it's kind of like, you know, wisdom and advice from divorced people, and they're like, hey, man. This was the main thing they kept saying to me. Brace yourself. Brace yourself, bro. It's coming. First year is going to be tough. Brace yourself. It's only going to be tougher in the second year. Then year three. Oh, year three is brutal. And then year four. Oh, it's going to be savage. And year five. It's going to be so painful. And then year six. Oh, good Lord. Year six. I just don't know. Year six. I just don't know. And then year seven. You're going to get the seven year itch, you know. And it was like, oh my gosh, it was so bleak. And I could like like see the whites of their eyes, right? Like, you know, it's gonna be okay. Maybe you'll get through it. I just don't know. Call me, John. Call me when it's really dark. So I kind of went into marriage and I was like, listening to these people thinking I was like uh, a little bit scared and a little bit terrified. And I don't know, I mean, when's it gonna get brutal? When's it gonna get savage? I'm not saying there's not challenges in marriage, but what I would say is this, one of the biggest surprises about my marriage is just simply how much fun it's been. It's, I, I take it for what it's worth. I'm a guy that's been married 27 years. I'm a pastor, and she's a pastor's wife. Not an easy role. But I want to tell you this, marriage has been amazing. Marriage has been ridiculously fun. There's a lot of fun. There's still a lot of passion. Come on, who wouldn't be passionate? Well, uh, I know it takes a little work. But, so if you think it's going to be a ball and chain, it probably will be a ball and chain. If you think it's going to be no passion and no spontaneity, well, that's your choice, I suppose. But the way I looked at it is, hey, man, it's like a slumber party with my best friend. And it's a lot of fun. And we get to laugh, and we get to do things together, and we get to explore things. And the last thing on my mind is starting up a new relationship with someone else because of all the work I've done with my wife. I mean, we have worked through some stuff. We have gone through some stuff. We have bled together. We have cried together. We have laughed together. We have a lot of inside jokes together. I tell her all the time, if you ever leave me, baby doll, I'm going with you. If you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I'm telling you that, you know, leaving Renee would be like taking all my money out of of one savings account leaving that bank, going across the street and opening up a new account and having to start all over again. And here's the point, you can't get interest if you don't let something sit there for a while and mature. I got blood equity, I got sweat equity, I got tear equity in this relationship, and it's actually been a lot of fun. And interesting, in the same article it said this, studies do suggest, almost like it's a concession, right, that married people will have better sex, better health and wealth, and will probably die happier than singles with a lower likelihood of strokes, heart disease, and depression. Married people also respond better to stress and heal more quickly. But it's a drag, and it's terrible, and it's a ball and chain, and you're probably not going to want it. I mean, it's, it's Yonsville, really, Yonsville. But is that what God says about marriage? No. God's basically message in scripture is, look, find a good spouse, you've found a good life. And even more, you've found the favor of God. I'm not saying it's been easy. Someone out here, and look, Jonathan's recording you right now. Someone out here say, not easy. Not easy, it's not easy, I'd be lying. And in this world, it'd be lunacy to tell you it's easy because what, 51% of all marriages now end in divorce in America. of all second marriages end in divorce and 73% of all third marriages, your third marriage, 73% of them end in divorce. So it would be insane and lunacy for me to say it's easy. What I am saying though is that a committed relationship, a partnership, marriage, it is worth fighting for. There's something of a blessing we can get to and study shows after study shows, if you keep on fighting for it and, and believe you're going to stay together, you will stay together. Far more often than if I try to run off and find happiness in the arms of someone else. And that's the approach the enemy wants us to take. But God has something better. And I want to talk to you this weekend about why you should fight for all that God wants for you. Whether you're married or whether you're single or you're divorced or you're currently going through a divorce I don't really care where you're at, because I don't wanna try to preach down to anyone or preach at someone to make you feel bad for things in your past, because frankly, I'm here to fight for your future and to help you fight for your future, because that's God's mentality. God never tries to rub our nose in our own carpet of our shame. He tries to get us to understand that there can be a brighter tomorrow. Come on, someone say amen, amen? So I don't want you to hang your head, sort of slump your shoulders in condemnation because I can't do anything about what's in my closet. You can't do anything about what's in your closet. But we can make decisions from this day forward to live carefully and protect our future if we follow God's voice, amen? Exodus 17, it's an interesting story. It takes place right after the children of Israel have left Egypt. They're trying to make their way to the promised land. But, but the thing that kept happening to them on their way to the Promised Land is right after they crossed the Red Sea, they got attacked. They got attacked by the Amaclites, and they were attacking the Israelites. And here's what's interesting in the Bible. In the Bible, lots of times God compares his relationship to his, to, you know, with his people in Israel to, to a marriage relationship. And so really, you have the Israelites leaving slavery, coming towards the promised land, and they're entering sort of this honeymoon period with God. And it lines up with that reality that right after the honeymoon, right into the honeymoon, right, there's this wild, crazy, savage fight they have to deal with. And what we're going to try to learn from this passage is how do we approach it in our relationships, fighting for all that God wants us to fight for. Why? Because, look, God's plans are worth fighting for, right? God has plans for our relationships. And so we're gonna try to learn from the strategy that they've employed in dealing with difficulty. So if you have your Bible at home, or if you wanna look on the screens, Exodus 17, we're jumping into verse nine, where it says, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men. (laughs) How redneck is that? Choose us some men. I didn't know Moses was from Kentucky. That's just how I read it the first time. like, choose us some men, will you? I'm sorry, that's just how I read the Bible. Please forgive me. Uh, anyhow, and go out. I, I apologize. <laughs> Choose us the men and go out. And tomorrow I'll stand up on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands, then Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him. They put a rock under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So we're going to unpack that. So hold on to that. But I want to share with you one of my favorite stories uh, that I found in a book by an author named Tommy Nelson. And he wrote this in a book called The Book of Romance. And he tells this marriage story that I think is awesome. It's about a woman who was in her kitchen one day and her husband comes in and her back was turned to him and she's pouring some coffee and she's trying to get ready for going to work. And he approached her, kind of snuck up on her uh, from behind. And he saw a zipper that ran down her dress all the way on the back of her dress and he liked what he saw and it was kind of cute. So he kind of came up and he was kind of playfully and just sort of affectionately decided to sort of zip down her zipper a little bit. And he unzipped it a little bit and unzipped it back up and he unzipped it a little bit more and zipped it back up and he unzipped it a little bit more and he zipped it back up and she rebuffed his advances stop i have a meeting i have a meeting and that only caused him to accelerate and do it faster you know he's zipping zipping and unzipping come on honey you know he's just playing around with her and she turned around and she said um stop it and she turned around really quickly when she did he still had her zipper in his hand and it tore the zipper off the dress and tore the zipper up and tore the dress up And what he didn't know is that she had picked out that dress that day intentionally for her meeting that day. And she just picked it up from the dry cleaners the day before. She had this dress in mind for her important meeting and her feathers were ruffled, so you might say. So she stormed off. She went and changed, got another dress, and she left without even saying goodbye. She was sort of mad. And she was mad. How long, church? How long do you think she was mad? all day. Now, (laughs) how long do you think he was upset by the whole incident? Not 30 seconds. He completely had moved on, went on with his day, and everything was fine. Why? Because women are like spaghetti and men are like waffles. It's true. Men are like waffles because, you know, we compartmentalize everything. Everything goes in its little zone. Work can be going bad over here in this zone, but hey, your sex life's going great. It has nothing to do with that. You had a bad day, it doesn't really matter. That's in a different zone, because over on this zone, we got butter and syrup, right? This is my recreation zone. Don't bring my fight over here. It doesn't affect men that way. We can compartmentalize like you've never seen. Men are like waffles, but women are like spaghetti. And in spaghetti, right, if you pull one string of the spaghetti, Oh, the whole big glob comes with you. Everything pulls on everything, right? The whole glob goes right. If something's wrong over here, they just can't deal with this other area. It affects it all, right? Right? It's true. It's probably some of the best marriage (laughs) advice you'll ever get. So he hadn't thought about it. The guy who ripped his wife's zipper and dress, he hadn't thought about it all day because it was in a different zone. He goes to work, he's in his work zone. He's got butter and syrup in that zone. And so when... (laughs) when he came home, she arrived a little bit later. She was still thinking about how he made her wear a different dress. She was still mad about it. Well, she came into the driveway and she saw her husband under the car, working on the car, doing something mechanical. And all she could see were his legs were sticking out, including his zipper. So now she decided it's time for a little vengeance on her husband. So she came up to him and she grabbed his zipper and unzipped it a little bit and then zipped it back up, and unzipped it a little bit further, and then zipped it back up, and then she just like zip, 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 zip. How you like them apples, right? And zipping, and zipping, and unzipping, and satisfied she'd given him a little payback for what he had done, the sense of the morning, she went into the kitchen, where she was stunned to see her husband was standing there at the counter with a beer, two beers in his hand, and she said, what are you doing here? I mean, He's completely caught off guard. He's like, what do you mean what I'm doing here? I live here. And, and you know, he's like not tracking with her at all. And she's like, you're supposed to be out under the car in the driveway. And she's turning completely pale, right? She's completely pale. You're supposed to be under the car. And he's like, why? I'm not under the car. And she's like, who's under the car in the driveway? he said, our next door neighbor, the muffler. He offered to help. I'm getting him a beer. What's the matter? She, of course, explained to him what she had done. And they both hurried out to find a pair of legs sticking out from under the car with the zipper halfway down, just like a statue not moving an inch. They called out to him. No response. They finally wheeled him out. He was out cold. He had done what anyone would do if you're under a vehicle working on a muffler and you suddenly felt your zipper all of a sudden open up. He had done what? He had sat straight up, straight up under the car and knocked himself out. That's a great story, I love that story. And the point of that story is, look, in relationships, you're gonna have conflict. Don't ever go into a relationship thinking, how do we avoid conflict? The right question is to say, how do we manage conflict that protects the integrity of you and me and the integrity of the whole relationship? What are the ground rules for having conflict? If you want ground rules for conflict, I'll send them to you. They saved my marriage. And one of the reasons, especially in marriage, Why is conflict inevitable, right? And why is it inevitable? Well, because what God begins, the evil one opposes, right? That's the evil one's MO. Whatever God begins, the evil one tries to oppose. And in marriage, you have something supernatural that takes place. The two become one. And it's more than just physical, right? When scripture says that, it's talking about a spiritual union, there's a union that happens and the souls get mingled and they come together in the marriage bed. And what God does is he brings together two that were living separate and they become one. And the old joke is, uh, you know, the two shall become one. And on the honeymoon, they fight about which one. Ah, I thought that was funny. Anyhow, Genesis 2, says the man leaves his father and mother and is joined, joined to his wife. And the two become one flesh. Well, the moment that happens, right, the evil one starts to oppose whatever God begins. So you should expect to see some opposition, expect conflict, expect it not to be easy, expect there to be challenges. I don't think you should expect Yonsville, but you should expect some challenges, right? You can see this, if you just look at Genesis 2.24 and 2.25, it tells us they were naked and not ashamed. That, what is that? That's the marriage bed. And what's the next verse you get to? You know, you get to chapter three, verses one, who shows up right away, interestingly enough, The serpent. The moment there's a union and the two become one, the serpent shows up. Why? Because he wants to un-one the two. He wants to un-one the two. Why? Because he knows what you need to know in any sort of marriage. Unity releases strength in any endeavor. Unity releases strength. And those of you who are leaders in industry or in business, you know in your in your business where there's unity, there's a power that flows. The moment you start to get like little kingdoms and little silos and this is my team and our job and we're not doing your job and, and then everyone starts to get into factions, that's the moment that unity starts to weaken and power starts crumbling. And God has built the universe in a way that there is a commanded blessing on unity for good or for evil. So where there's this sticking to the vision where we have this common language and a common identity, businesses that have thrive and are successful Always develop what you call a sort of cult falling, right? Like Apple fanboys, you've heard of them, right? Being almost fanatical about something, what is that? That's the power of unity. That's the power of believing, everyone believing the same way and fighting for the same thing in the same direction. There's a commanded blessing on unity. And that's why the devil, one of his strategies is always to divide so we can conquer. He'll do it in a church, he'll do it in a family and he'll do it in a team, and he'll certainly try to do it in your relationships. But where there's this selflessness, this losing of the ego, this losing of the pride, and coming together to be part of something bigger than yourself, there's tremendous power and strength that gets released. And that's what God intends to come out of the marriage bed, where two become one, and they lose themselves in this forgiving and freeing and loving and gracious and spirit of hospitality. When they lose this, you know, this is mine, and this is my right, and this is my time, and this is my identity, and you spent this, so I gotta spend that. When you get into that, man, that's just destruction. So the second reason Renee and I have survived is there's only one team for us. There's only one scorecard, right? And love keeps no record of wrongs. So we don't keep score, and that's our marriage. So one of the things Renee and I will say, if we start getting a little dicey, we'll say, what kind of night are we gonna have? What kind of marriage are we going to have there's a sense of we-ness about it we don't use words like i or you we use we we're always on the same team and when you know that the better my wife is doing that's the better that i'm doing so to fight her is to harm me and i've got to fight for her and love her when there's one team and one scorecard you means recognizing you're both in the same boat and that means whatever storms we go through together we're going to weather together Life can throw you a curveball, and it will. You live long enough, man, life will throw things at you that you never saw coming. A loved one dies, a child gets sick, your partner's laid off, you get in an accident, you're down to one car. Renee and I went through that for a year. And being in a relationship means you're committing to weathering the storm together. You know, it's easy to be there for each other when things are going well. But the true test of a relationship is can you be there for each other when life is difficult? And you know what? Humility comes with this. There's something so wonderfully refreshing about humility. And Renee has that. And I've learned it because I didn't have it at first. And there's just something so obnoxious about pride. I mean, pride refuses to be assimilated. Pride refuses to go along with the flow and toe the line and keep the main thing the main thing and the mission paramount. And I just think in good homes, there should be that losing of yourself in unity. And the devil will try to get you to resist. The devil will try to get you to say, well, not me. The devil will try to get you to say, not this time. And he did this and she did that, right? And that's the idea of division. But where there's division, there's weakness. And where there's unity, there's power. And we have to do anything we can to stop the devil from getting in between us, which is his plan. So what sort of stuff will the devil try to get between you and your relationships? Well, things like unforgiveness, harboring grudges but i think also some things like simple as debt or financial difficulties if you listen to dave ramsey he'll tell you 51 percent of all marriages end because of fights over money right uh, money is cited in a in, in majority of divorce cases it's till debt do we part right that's the new marriage vow till debt do we part and of course the phone and social media, this can come between us, right? You see these posts on Instagram on what couples should look like in bed and the couples are intertwined and their, their sort of feet are you know, on top of each other. But nowadays, what are couples doing? They're lying on opposite sides of the bed and the glow of the phone is on their face and they're scrolling their phones like that's the new thing to do. So put the phone down and look into each other's eyes, okay, right? And some of you are like, well, I'm working a 60 hour week and my family needs the money and I got to work and I don't have time for my spouse. Well, then you have to say this. Does my family need more money or do they need more of me? You know, Renee could be retired right now if she had stayed, if she had just stayed working. But when we had Jacob, she said, you know what, I want to stay home and raise him for the first five years. I said, great. We'll be poor, but the kid needs you, so stay home. And I'm not knocking any moms at work, but that was our decision. And I was okay with that decision. And she did the same thing with Zachary. And things like promotions and stuff, we had to make choices, right? But even the kids themselves, right? Even kids can come between you, right? Kids can come between a man and his wife. And you have this cute little baby child, and they're very small, and they're very, very petite, and they're on the little side, and you're thinking there's no way they could come between a husband and wife, uh, because, You know, it's just not going to happen, right? But it does, because what happens? You become mom and dad. And sometimes people mistakenly lay down the husband and wife hat, and they pick up the mom and dad hat. And that's the only one they really give thought to thereafter, the mom and dad. And that's the only one they really care to. And really how it should be is, look, Jesus at the center, and the marriage is first, and the kids are second. That should be Jesus at the center, marriage first, and kids second. But unfortunately, sometimes once the child comes in, mom and dad completely abandon the needs of the spouse and they put the child at the center of the relationship, which is an absolute disaster as it plays out. And what this looks like, what this translates into is that an empty nest then revealing an empty marriage because it's not been prioritized as it should. It's anemic and sickly and malnourished because you've not given the love and attention to your spouse. Because every time the kid comes in, hey, mom, dad, I need something. They stop talking to their spouse and they talk to their kids. What it should be is, hey, hey, your mom and dad are talking right now. We'll get to you in just a minute. The team's together. The marriage is meant to stay. The kids are meant to go. So to put the kids at the center is to build a plan that's not sustainable. Because if everything goes right, right, the kids... <laughs> The kids at 30 will not be living in your home. Your son living at 30 years old, living in your house is not success. Psalm 127 says, children, their arrows meant to be launched. So they're meant to be shot out. They're meant to be released. They're meant to go start their own family. They're meant to go do great things for God and out in this world. So we have to have the mentality that the apron strings, even before the umbilical cord is severed, right? That's the mentality and our goal is launching them now. And I think a lot of times part of the mistake is the kid's having nightmares, so the kid just sleeps in mom and dad's bed. And I'm not saying this can't be an occasional thing, and I know there's some people that will debate me on this, and it's great to have the kid in bed and all that, uh, but literally it's not, I don't believe in my own experience that literally having a child sleeping between you long-term is a good thing. Because here's why, and this is gonna sound crazy, but You know, there should be things happening in your bed that would haunt your children's dreams forever if they were to be a witness to them. Little Johnny, I I will comfort you after your nightmare. I will comfort you. But after that, you're going back to your bed. The door's getting knocked and there's going to be a little smooth jazz getting bumped from this room in here. There are things happening in this bed that we cannot have you in between for us. And if you won't date your spouse, this is what I'm trying to say in a funny way. If you won't date your spouse, The devil will find someone who will, right? So keep dating and courting each other. And that really has been one of the keys to our marriage successes. We have kept dating each other and courting each other and doing all the little things you do at the beginning. Keep doing those things. Jesus put it best. What God has put together, let no one split up. No no one put asunder. So we got to have that mentality, I mean, what did that take? L O V E, right? Love. That's how a lot of people believe marriage is spelled. L O V E. And I agree with that. But I also think when it comes to real life, man, marriage is spelled W O R K. I think we should employ the strategy back to our scripture that Moses and Joshua demonstrated for us. And what did it look like? Two simple steps Moses raised arms, and Joshua drew his sword. Moses raised arms, Joshua drew his sword. Moses said, I'm going to get a couple guys and I'm going to go on top of the mountain. And I'm going to raise my arms up with the rod of God in my arms, which is a symbol of God's power, right? So, same staff he held when the Red Sea was split, when the Nile was turned into blood, okay? So, demonstrating God's power and with him raising his arms up was accepting God's power. And really, raising your arms up is a symbol of life surrender. You ever wonder why people in church, right, might raise up a hand, you know, one. Or two, or raise up two hands. What is that? You know, that's that is a symbol of surrender. If someone holds a gun to you, you, you surrender, right? Or when they're new to, to to raising their hand to God, they'll they'll kind of like they're throwing a frisbee, you know. Uh, and then the single girls. You ever seen a single girl at church raise her hands like it's always the left hand, right? Single, 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 ready to mingle, mingle, mingle. I get my praise on, looking for a holy man. <laughs> I love that. We raise our hands, right, as a symbol of a life surrendered. It says to God, I need your strength. God, I need your power. And so that's what Moses is doing. He's raising his hands up to heaven. But Joshua down below, he's drawing a sword. So Moses says, I'm going to go pray. Basically, I'm going to go worship for the battle of the Amalekites. But I want you to go fight. I want you to go get your sword. I want you to go fight like you've never fought before. What does this tell us? It tells us, To get where God wants us to get. It tells us to experience what God wants us to experience. It's going to require both what? Praying, surrendering your life, but also having a plan. It's going to have a spiritual and a logical component. It's going to be theological, but it's also going to be intensely nuts and bolts practical. So I'm going to have a plan that you have, and I'm going to have a prayer that you pray. I think a lot of times people have this mentality, just let go and let God. What I am saying is you should trust God, but also get to work. That's what we got to do. Yeah, raise your arms up like Moses, but then draw your sword like Joshua. Pray, but then get to work. Arms raised out, right? For sure. But swords are out too. Trust God, yes, but don't be dumb, right? So, you know, this means if I'm looking for a spouse, I got to brush my teeth. I'm praying for a spouse. I got to brush my teeth. I got to put on deodorant. So a couple of points of application. One from Joshua and one from Moses, and then we're done. From Joshua, we learned to keep a cool head. Keep a cool head. Now, look, as you all know, in the marriage, I'm a gorilla. I came from a family of gorillas. We like to fight. We're going to fight. Let's fight. It was like recreation in my house. Renee came from a family of turtles. So I had to learn to keep a cool head. This is a lesson I had to learn. Keeping a cool head absolutely saved my marriage because when I first got married, I was a bit of a Hot head. You hear this, right? A hot head. And I think one of the practical steps we can make is to make sure we maintain a cool level head. And interestingly enough, the cheetah is the fastest land mammal. Since you asked, what is, I I know I heard someone, that you asked, what is the fastest (laughs) land mammal? The cheetah. And they can reach speeds up to 75 miles an hour. I learned this watching a Netflix special the other day, and God spoke to me in this. And one of the interesting things about the cheetah is that they can only run until their brain hits 105 degrees Fahrenheit. At 105 Fahrenheit, which is the top end of their 75 miles an hour, they start to overheat. Of course, you can imagine the strain on muscles to run like that. Their brain hits 105 and they have two choices. Option one, stop, pant until your brain cools off. Option two, die on the spot. But if they keep running, they can't keep living. The gazelle which is what they're commonly chasing, can run to their bodies at 109. At 109, their brain will still be at 105. Why? Because every time the gazelle breathes in, the newly inhaled air passes through the chamber that the blood is piped by on the way to the brain, and it cools it off just a little bit. Just to give them the ability to achieve a higher body temperature before their brain goes into a state of heat that would not enable them to keep on living. And that's why if the cheetah doesn't catch the gazelle right away with the element of surprise and take them down early, the gazelle has a higher top end speed and has longer endurance and can of course get away, right, the one that got away. So what I'm saying, why do gazelles live when they live? literally. This is a case where cooler heads prevail. Come on, how cool is that? Know this about yourself as you handle conflict and as you deal with things as the team that there often will be big things that can get between us, but usually it's the small little things that hurt our relationships and then it will start small and then they will get bigger. As small as a little fox. Song of Solomon puts it this way, let us catch the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines because our vines have tender grapes. Apparently there was a Middle Eastern fox that would come in and eat the buds that would never get to mature into ripe grape plants. And so if, what Solomon's saying is, look, if you can wipe out the small stuff, it'll never have the chance of growing and growing and becoming a problem. So we've got to draw our swords on those little foxes. And then like Joshua, we'll be drawing our swords on the things that would eventually cause us to live lives of sadness and regret. But keep a cool head. And this is one of the ground rules. And this is really one of the reasons that Renee and I uh, are still together. We have the ability to call a timeout when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're in conflict. Uh, I tell her I need cave time. The caveman needs time. She doesn't follow me in a cave time. And, I, and if she says I need space, the turtle needs space, I let her go in the shell. It's good advice when you fight. Because when you're flustered and you're losing your mind, what happens, right? Anger It is the wind that blows out the candle of the mind. And you end up saying something you regret. Or you go nuclear and you talk about divorce. Or you do something that you'll not be able to take back. Because words, they're like toothpaste. And when they're out of the tube, you can't suck them back in. Um, So be like that gazelle. Cool your brain down a little bit. And really think about, is this what I want to say? Is this good? Is this going to help my relationship? Take a breath. Uh, take a lap around the block, take a drive, go do your yoga, do go what you got to do. Take a time out. Have the ability to call a time out, not to leave the relationship, but to leave and cool down and then come back to the relationship. Cool your temper. Do yoga. Don't do hot yoga. I did that one time. That was horrible. All right. Anyhow, second thing, and we learned this from Moses. I'm going to need a little, uh, you know, just a little bit of time, just a couple more minutes. Moses will tell us to build our life on the rock. That's what Moses would say. Joshua was like, hey, keep a cool head, draw your sword. Moses was like, yeah, arms raised. Moses was on this hill with the rod of God in his hands, right? That's his thing, he's standing, but his arms got tired. And the Bible says he had a hard time keeping on praying. He had a hard time keeping on worshiping. And just like we experience sometimes, he had a hard time keeping his heart right with God, right? Sometimes it's hard to make the right decision. So his arms would start to droop. And when his arms would droop, so would the power for what Joshua was doing down below would diminish. And when his arms would go down, Joshua would start to lose. So Moses got his friends, Aaron on one side and Hur on the other side, and they were so awesome because they brought with him this big old rock. And when they brought this big old cinder rock, he was able to sit down on it. And each one of them grabbed his arms and they held him in the air. So what had he done is he had sort of hacked his life, his prayer life to make it easier. And now he's sitting there with his good friends, holding his arms up and all day long and all night long and he's strong, he's fighting the battle and he wasn't doing it alone anymore. His life was now built on the rock, like yours will be if you make some wise decisions and surround yourself with right people. Come on, you've got to build your life on the rock to keep your relationship from being on the rocks. Come on, you don't wanna be Neil Diamond singing about love on the rocks. So build your life on the rock to keep your relationship off the rocks. That's what God wants you to know. What has made a difference for Renee and I is we built our life upon the rock. We've built our life upon God. We pray for each other once a week. It's the most amazing thing to take your spouse's hands look them in the eyes and say, how can I be a better husband? And to hear her say, how can I be a better wife? And then you pray for each other. And then you have intimacy between you two and God that's unparalleled and it makes a difference. And what are we doing? We're building our life upon the rock. And studies show that when a married couple attends church together and they pray together on a regular basis and they read the Bible and they take their faith seriously, they're as, they are as much as 35% less likely to divorce almost 40%, these little decisions put God first, build your life upon the rock. And that's the fourth reason Renee and I stay together is we've built our life upon the rock of God. And if you do that, you'll be together with that person. You know, as you fight for all that God wants to fight for you and you find your arms getting tired, you find your arms getting weak, you'll find your resolve beginning to slip. If you just lift your eyes up to Jesus and surrender, Jesus' spirit is prepared to give you the power to do what you cannot do on your own. Would you pray with me? God, of grace, we give thanks for all the relationships in this room. We pray over all the marriages, all the committed relationships and partnerships that are in this room, that are those that are watching online, and we pray for them. And we pray that they'll consider these four reasons uh, and four ways that they might stay together. And most of all, God, we pray that they would build their lives upon the rock, the rock that is you, and the foundation of love and forgiveness, and that love keeps no record of wrongs. And I just pray that they would view their relationship as a gift from you, not Yonsville, but a gift where there can be passion and spontaneity and excitement and adventure and beautiful blessings that follow in your favor. We pray this over everyone, over all of our relationships, in the name of the one who taught us how to be in relationship, and that is Jesus, who taught us to pray as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, for thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our day of bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, I appreciate you being with us as I am spending some time building upon the rock uh, in my life, spending some time with Renee in our honeymoon spot. I'll be back in person in the house next Sunday, and I'm going to be bringing you a message uh, called an 800-pound gorilla and you. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing you. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.